Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Howdy, all. And that seems appropriate with a game in Nashville yesterday. Uh, before we get into the hockey talk, uh, I just wanted to, and I'm not a, believe me, I'm not a big NBA fan at all, but it was, uh, it was interesting to see the contrast of the draft lottery uh, that the NBA held and the NHL held. First of all, I don't think that there were any players representing teams at the NHL. No, there was. Joel Embiid was there for the Sixers. No, 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 for the NHL. For the NHL. Oh, for the NHL. Sorry. Uh, yeah, there, I don't think there were. No, not this year. No. And, and there were a few players uh, representing teams at the NBA draft lottery, plus – have to say these convoluted sort of conditional deals that the NBA allows made things very, very confusing where I think it was Sacramento could have lost a pick if the pick would have been in the top below the top 10. And then the, the Lakers could have lost a pick in 2017 or in 2019, if they hadn't gotten the top three pick in this drive, it was very, very, you know, there were all these conditions, and it sort of took away from the excitement. But the weirdest thing, Russ, was that the Boston Celtics, who are in the Eastern Conference Finals starting tonight against the Cavaliers, get the first pick in the draft. And it's because of the Brooklyn Nets being utterly stupid and trading, I think, three or four first-round picks a few years back for aging Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, and now that's going to basically restart the Celtics. I mean, the Celtic franchise is pretty good right now, but it's they're going to get a franchise-level well, player. they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they got the first overall pick. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. And, and, and the, the funny thing is I'm trying to think back in terms of hockey when a really, really good team got a top pick. And I'm talking about like a team – you know, Tampa Bay was a good team, but they had a bad right. year, and they draft Jonathan. That's what Bay. usually happens in hockey. I can't think of a really good team that got a top pick that was deep in the playoffs. I mean, well, I, I guess maybe the closest would be how how deep in the playoffs. Well, they didn't get the top pick. No, I can't think of one. Well, not not even not even the top pick, but just a just a high pick. It's like, I mean, well, I mean when when the Leafs traded the Bruins, the, how deep did the Bruins go that year? Uh, boy, that was 2000. That was the year before that. No, it was 2008 that they made the Kessel deal, I believe. 2000, 2009, and uh, the Bruins won the cup in 2011. I don't know what they did the pre the, the previous year. I don't think they. Was that the year? Was that the year that they? Well, 2010 was the year they had a three nothing lead and lost to Philadelphia in seven right. Okay, so I mean, they were they were pretty far in the playoffs. So they just. Right. You know, Right, but they were but they were a playoff team. Actually, yeah, they were a playoff team and got the second pick. They, I mean, yeah. they, but I mean, you have to you have That's to close as you can get. Yeah, you have to think back to the seventies if you remember, and I can't remember his name if it was George McGuire, the, the, whoever the general manager was of the L.A. Kings. He must have been either the either Sam Pollock had pictures of whoever the GM of the L.A. Kings and the California Golden Seals. 
or or he was just I mean, it was unbelievable. The Canadians would get like the first pick in the draft for like Ralph Backstrom, right? And they would draft Guy Lafleur. You know, they they would get you know they would, they'd be the best team that won that almost won a Stanley Cup or had just won a Stanley Cup, and it had the first pick in the draft. So, but that does. I mean, having Actually, the, that was the semifinals with the Bruins and the, and the yeah. Flyers. That's what I was trying to. I was having that battle in my mind. That's right. The Flyers beat the the Habs in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, but still semifinals. With a high pick, that's as that's as close as I can get. Yeah, I mean, ha having to go back forty, you know, forty five years, forty six years yeah. is, you know, I mean, I can remember it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's it's very it's very in, very infrequent, and normally, you know, the worst teams get the the the, the best picks, but sometimes that something like this happens. But yeah, it's it's just gonna and you know the the quality NBA teams of our youth. You know, it was always the Lakers, the 76ers, and the Celtics. And yep. last and last night it was it was Celtics one, Lakers two, and 76ers three. So I just yeah, thought but here's the thing though. Now, in my youth before that, it was the Nets. And obviously we don't see anything good out of the Nets when they do stupid things like they're doing today. And yes, I know they reached the uh they reached the finals once with like Alonzo Morning or something, right? But yeah, that's as close as they got with and Jason, were, with Jason, with Jason Kidd as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's it's been a very fleeting time for the Nets ever since post Dr. J. So I, you know, I give the Celtics credit. I still hate the Celtics from my Knicks days. Um, <laughs> I don't wish them any ill will though. Like I don't care. I will say this: the Knicks got the eighth overall, right? Which is probably the worst you could do for as bad as they are. And I will say this: I enjoyed what Walt Frazier wore, but he's got better than that. Oh my God! So I, think, it looked, I don't think it Clyde looked, brought it. I don't think Clyde like, brought it. It looked like the upholstery from a couch. It was no, terrible. Listen, uh, I I've been watching Walt Frazier my entire life. He could do better. That's all I'm saying. Well, he could do better than those just for men commercials he does with Keith Hernandez too. Hey, but guys, want to make a living? Don't don't kill him for that. Uh, okay, okay. All right, let's start the show. Peter Tessier will be joining us in a, any moment, so. Uh, I will we'll, we'll just acknowledge him beforehand, but uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Wednesday, May 17th, 2017. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, well, we had a game last night in Nashville, and my ears are still ringing from the loud noise at the Bridgestone Arena. Uh, it was I a, thought maybe from Keith Urban. Uh, and I'm not going to go there again. <laughs> please, please. Although it was, it was very nice to see Nicole Kidman in the crowd. That just brightened my day, Russ. There you go. Uh, I'm glad yeah. that Mrs. Keith Urban. Um, but the Preds, uh, on the strength of two goals in the third period, win a two-one victory over the Anaheim Ducks. Um, rather, you know, some controversy in this game. A lot of disallowed goals. Um, you know, some. Questionable uh, situations. Uh, I mean, first of all, give me your overview on the game. What did you think? I mean, the overview of the game was good. I, I thought um, Kessler maybe overdid it in his role, and, and he needs to maybe dial it back a little bit and get back to playing his game rather than trying to really just destroy Johansson. And, you know, so I think he needs to dial that back. Uh, I think that first one where the, where the goal was off the moorings, with the puck going in, yeah, that was a goal. That was I a thought goal. that was a goal. That was a goal. And I, and and I'm really I'm really surprised that because 
uh, they showed the, the the rules regarding um, you know allowing or disallowing that during the second intermission. And I mean, it was pretty clear that I mean the puck was going in, and I think it was Ekholm who had been knocked down, but he slid into the right post and he knocked it off its moorings. Yeah. And if you see the puck, the puck was maybe a couple inches outside the crease, going in the direction, and, and had it passed over the goal line yeah. as the go as the net was coming off its moorings. So you could say if. Ekholm hadn't knocked that off its moorings, it would have gone in. So yeah. by the rule, it should have been allowed. But the, strangely enough, they didn't allow it. And that hurt. That that definitely hurt the Ducks. There's no question. So you think? Yeah. Oh no, I I, I think so. I mean, you know, yeah. they. Um, I mean, they get the goal, and and first of all, the the goal by Perry. Well, they didn't uh, get that goal. They should have gotten that goal, and then you know. Right, but the the, the goal by Perry was not a good goal. No. I mean, I'm taking into consideration that if they would have scored that goal and then the Perry goal would have happened, oh. then being up 2 nothing, yes. you know, that would have that would have deadened that crowd significantly and then, it you know, have. right, but uh, the the Perry goal was a bad goal. I mean, Pekka Rene, you know, you can't really complain because he only allowed one on the night, but, you know, he came off the post and it went off the inside of his skate. You know, Perry's a, a grizzled veteran of many Stanley Cup playoff games, so he knows that, you know, maybe he can bait the goaltender to come off the post, and he did. But, you know, until the third period, until that rush, that, that might have been the difference, that goal. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, but here's the thing. I I think we're getting too nitpicky with goalies. I tell everybody, every goalie in this era now gives up one or two bad goals a game. They do. The question is, will they give up a third? And you hope that they don't give up a third. And that's the uh, – she's she's deaf, so she can get pretty loud. So that's the big thing is don't give up that third. I'm going to put her outside for a minute. But talk about the shot clock, and I'll be right back with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're doing it on the fly here, folks. Um, well, th this is the thing. Uh, and I, I caught wind of this after the game, the commentary on social media, especially from uh, the analytic, uh, you know, what I would term the analytics crowd, was very – uh, sort of anti, and they've always been anti Randy Carlisle back to his days in Toronto. Um, you know, Toronto at that point was not a team that you would call a possession team. They allowed more shots than they than they uh, got. Uh, and Randy Carlisle, uh, there was a gap of about fifteen to eighteen minutes during late first to early second where Anaheim did not have a shot registered, and Carlisle was critical of the fact that you know maybe at that point there weren't any shots recorded or I know that there was a there was a span of time where um, the shots were even and then all of a sudden in one flurry you know Nashville he thought had one shot and the score the shot clock gave him five shots I mean the thing is you know that contributes to the statistical uh, imbalance that most analytics people will say is the reason why, you know, their main... Well, here, and here's the thing, and if you stop it there, we had that subject this week on Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius where we were talking about the analytics and the stats, and I brought that up, how sometimes you wonder how home, home team scoring and home team statistics, especially we were talking about juniors, how that really affects the numbers that you're trying to use as gospel data. And Randy Carlisle sort of highlighted that for us in a way. Yeah, and, and it's and, something that you have to look at. Yeah, and, and see, the thing is, I think that the reason that I think it's pertinent right now is it sort of feeds into this narrative, you know, regarding Carlisle. And, you know, I, you know I've 
ever since he got you know ever since he got hired and then fired by the Leafs, I've tried to really defend Randy Carlisle because I said you know it's not analytics, it's not that he's a uh, you know a, a a Neanderthal in terms of a head coach. I, I think he's fair. I think he's fairly modern in his modern yeah. in his approach. The problem is is that in Toronto he didn't have the the right combination of talent. And I think in Anaheim, he actually does. And if you look at that game last night, I mean, yes. And even Carlisle admitted this. You know, it, it, Around you know the early part of the second period, through the end of the game, Nashville was the more dominant team. But Anaheim had a number of opportunities early. They had, I think, the better scoring chances, and either they shot wide or they or or they or the or Rene stopped them. And it was just, I mean, I I think it was sort of a, a you know two halves of one game where Anaheim dominated the first part and then Nashville carried it forth for the rest of the game. But, you know, that happens. At that happens. At the end of the day, I think Nashville's defensemen played better than, than Anaheim's. They had a lot more shots. What they have something like 18 shots, their defensemen. It was something, yeah, it was something, like, it was something obscene. And like so they that. outperformed them. And so like that happens. It's funny because, you know, everybody's like, well, only two more games and, and Nashville goes to the Stanley Cup. And it's like, you know, people should slow the roll on this. This is not an Anaheim team that is going to roll over and die. They only lost two to one. Even yeah. people that are being critical about John Gibson, uh, I, I retweeted Brian Boucher, who follows me. He's a smart man. He follows me on Twitter. And, and <laughs> you know, and he talked about how, hey, other than running Gibson, that's their best game plan other than taking away his eyes, you know, for screens, because he's been having a good series. He only gave up two goals. So, again, I think we get a little crazy sometimes. And but Peter, out, right? Peter, first give me, your, give me your general overview of the game, because, uh, I, you know, I, Russ and I both did. And the, the, just going forth on the, one of the points he just mentioned, it seemed to be, and it's always the plan of every team in the playoffs, you know, crash the net, go to the net, try to get, you know, try to impede, impede the goaltender, either his vision or try to make contact. And you, I think it was two disallowed goals that Nashville had last night. One, the one, uh, the the, the Chuck one uh, was 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 pretty. I thought, I mean, that was the least, the lesser of the two. The the, the other one I thought yeah, was more was blatant. Was it at home? I think that uh, crashed the net on that one. Yeah, it was at home. Uh, so, what what were your thoughts on the game? You know, I, um, I I think it's a perfect strategy. I think they had to. You you need to make things a mess in front of Gibson, hands down, and uh, and that's been seen throughout the playoffs. Create confusion in front of them, and look what happens. But the funny thing about that second disallowed goal was he actually worked to get away from him it was the it was the defenseman who got beaten who then had to pinch him out and push him around who actually pushed him back into gibson like he did the right thing he reached out he ran across he got through it's just that the way the defenseman who got beat was the one who drove him backwards so you know it's kind of a funny thing you, you know, you, it, it is interference. Like Gibson was interfered with, but was he interfered with deliberately? Yeah, I don't know about that. I think he did his ever, everything he could to get away from careening into him and wiping him right out. But the forces of nature, his gravity works, say so you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no problem. Like I, I can see it both ways, but I think if this is a continuing theme that we're going to see as is, is teams try and do this, 
the NHL's got to actually really revisit this rule again because again, we're living in the in the gray zone, and the gray zone needs to be cleaned up to the black and white zone. Either don't allow any contact, or allow, or, or don't or don't allow no any holds, in the no holds bar. Yeah, no holds right? bar. Right, like, no holds bar, or let it all go. Yeah, but um, I mean, as for the game, is yeah. your initial question, Mike? Uh, I thought Nashville drove the play really well. I mean, the, the defense was in on everything. Um, that's just so much fun to watch. You know, watching Ryan Ellis play is something else. The kid, I mean, he's really come out to, to be, you know, is this his breakout year? Probably. Like, is this his coming like out said, party? He didn't have a chance to not have a breakout year. That's the thing. He yeah. This is his first chance to actually show everybody, hey, this is what I can do. Now, has he been getting better every year? Yes. Yeah, and, and and it happened, and you know now thing the right things are happening for Nashville, and look, lo and behold, everyone's talking about Ryan Ellis, and that's great, you know. But I, I you know, I don't think Anaheim played a bad game. No. I just don't think they played that well as Nashville did. That was it. It's a two-one game. How can you, know. you know, it's a two-one game. Everybody's making a big deal because it's the third game, but you know what? You could show me all the stats you want for what happens in Game Three, but we could point to many, many times now. Where it doesn't matter all the time, so well, I, I don't think much talking about. And I know I commented on this last night, Russ. The thing was, I mean, when a goaltender is so blind to what is going on that he doesn't even move when a goal is shot, like Gibson did in Game Two with that one goal that Neal scored. The same thing happened on the winning goal last night. He got lost in the screen. He could. He didn't know where the puck was, and the puck pops out to Yossi, and he buries it into an open net with Gibson standing there wondering what the hell happened. You know, Gibson played a great game, but that kind of goal is sort of disheartening, especially when a team, you know, was 1-1 late in the third. I mean, I thought that thing was going into overtime, and in a sense it was in overtime, and that game, that goal won the game because in the Anaheim really didn't have a, another great chance after it. But, I mean, Gibson really, I mean, he played well, but he that, that, was, you know, that was a play that was very costly – and if he does that one more time, I mean, there's no there's no margin for error here. Error here. If he if he does that one more time, that might be the death blow to the. Dogs. All right, but you want to know something? His save percentage in the playoffs is nine twenty four. I know. I like, know. Like you are getting ridiculously nitpicky here. Like I can't. I even know. I know. I, I, I can't I even comment know. on it because anybody who wants to say anything about Gibson's goaltending, he's got a nine twenty four save percentage. I mean. You can't do a lot better than that at his age. Russ, all I'm saying is is that like in the first round when Toronto was playing Washington and Freddie Anderson lets in that goal in overtime to Tom Wilson, even though he had a he had a pretty damn good game, all everybody remembers is he let a goal in short side high to Tom Wilson. And that was the Yeah, Mike Richter that, let one in like that too in the playoffs, like a like a, a 30, 40 foot shot. He eventually won a Stanley Cup. It meant nothing in his career. But that was but that well, was. But Dan Kuchay let one in from the red line, and well, where's he? Dan Kuchay <laughs> was a better fighter. We've all got examples. No, right? but he was a better fighter than a goaltender. Yeah, right? and and Alan Bester let one let one in in 1990 from over the blue. Uh, never mind. All right, uh, let's let's move on to the other series. That's uh, you know we have Game Three occurring at the Canadian Tire Center in Canada, in beautiful downtown Canada, Ontario, as the Senators and Penguins take yes, uh, um, 
Now, the, the news came out that uh, Brian Rust will not play, Patrick Hornquist will not play, and Justin Schultz will not play. And, Rust, there was an indication that uh, veteran Mark Streit might be uh, playing tonight. Yeah, Streit is, was out on the ice. I think it was a smart move. I think that um, when you think about it, if you want to have a seventh defenseman, you literally could just have him out there for the power play. And the one thing I could tell you from covering Mark Streit and still looking at him very closely this year, his shot is still great, and his ability to move the puck on the power play and get the puck in the offensive zone quickly is still very good. It's everything else that's not so great, like his catch-up speed, his, his five-on-five defensive play, but they could, they could work around that. And so this is the perfect way to not miss Justin Schultz because you'll have Mark Streit on the power play. I would do it. I wouldn't even hesitate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean go ahead. Streit's got to come in, and, and they've got to adjust for him, and they've got to look for him to get that quick outlet pass and 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 play to what he can do so he's not left dangling in a situation where he's got to, lack of a better term, defend for himself in a bad situation. They want to get the puck out quick, and Penguins are going to have to adjust to make that move. Yeah, I mean, on the Ottawa page, I mean – yeah, there, it's going to be status quo. I haven't heard any kind of lineup changes right now. I mean, I, I honestly think that Ottawa's game is better suited to playing on the road, especially that that boring one three one trap that they play. Uh, if it's if it's a tight game, you're going to have the crowd. You know, they'll be in it, but they'll be tense. And if they fall behind, you know, then they're going to have to come out of that one three one to try to score. But I think when it's even, you're aggravating your your home crowd. They're going to be really like uptight and expecting you know a team with Eric Carlson and a few offensive weapons to sort of step it up and I think if they try to do that and play out of character then it's it, I think it's pit advantage Pittsburgh especially with the weapons that they still have Russ oh okay I thought it was for Peter yeah I agree no, I, I, okay I yeah I I agree I I think uh Ottawa has to play a certain kind of kind of game because they can't match firepower with Pittsburgh. It's that simple. And even though Pittsburgh's defense is still, you know, got this question marks, I mean, you know, what's Ottawa got after Carlson that is so grand, right? You've got a, maybe a, a resurgent enough. You've got CC and, and then, and then where does it, where does it go from there? I mean, they like, Ottawa has to employ a strategy that's going to allow them to stay in the game because if they let a game get away from them, there's no there's no catching up with Pittsburgh. You're not going to come back. Particularly if Pittsburgh gets a two or three goal lead, you're not gonna you're not gonna get into a into a, a horse race with them and, and try and catch up. You know you've got to hope something good happens and stick to the plan that slows them down and hope that you get the breaks that you want. If you do a search for for Ottawa on on Twitter, the next word that comes up is boring. It's really kind of funny, but that's that's where we're at, and I think that Pittsburgh has figured it out. I'll be very shocked if Pittsburgh loses this game. I actually will be shocked if Pittsburgh doesn't win by more than two goals. I think they've, they've figured things out. Yes, they're a little weakened, and that could hurt them a little bit as far as the injuries, but I, I think now they're going, to, uh, they're going to have Ottawa's number a little bit in this game. That's what I'm expecting. Well, I, I'm a little surprised, and you know, not that I expected them to put Sestito in the lineup because I don't think they're—I didn't think they were going to do that. They didn't do that in the series after Crosby got whacked, and and. Oh wait, Tom Sestito just did a Players Tribune article. Put me in, Coach. No I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, jeez. 
<laughs> okay, John, okay, John Fogarty. Uh, but, but but no, it, it, but but with Fanuf with Fanuf laying out rust, with uh, you know, I think Ottawa, I think having to be more physical uh, against Pittsburgh to to sort of get things done. Now, how far are we away from Sullivan going down that road? We're still I mean, far. That, I mean, Chris Kunitz was ramping it up. He's certainly a guy that that can do that. He's not scoring like he used to. He's not even close. So I think Kunitz could play that role. I I don't think they're going there yet. I think we're, they have to be down three, one to even consider it. No, no, Peter, do you think that, I mean, cause I think that's a desperate move. Do you think, even though he's played great in the playoffs, that if they fall behind, say, say Ottawa sweeps in Ottawa and they go back for game five down three games to one. Do you think that that's the cue for Matt Murray it all depends on the score, right? If there, if if it, it, it's the same argument of of Gibson losing two one. If they lose two games two one or three two, and there's no brain fart goals or you know some sort of stupid event that's caused by Flurry, how do you not? The only reason you would do it is because you need some sort of psychological shot in the arm for the rest of the team to say, hey. The coach is putting in the backup now, or the coach is putting in the former starter who was the backup, or blah blah blah. However you want to phrase it, if if that's what you know, if that's what Johnson thinks is necessary to get the rest of his team going, well, probably being down, you know, three one in in the series is is the time to do it. But that's that's a desperate move. Yeah, um, that's a desperate move. One one little thing here. Uh, Quote from Bobby Ryan regarding the Senators' boring play. Uh, I think our fan base is on board with it, and we have to recognize the brand that we have to play to be to be successful. Critics and ratings can be damned at this time of year. It's all about going out and getting the job done, and we've been able to do that. We're going to continue to do that. I'm sure well, that he's right. I would say yeah. the same thing as a player. Sure, but I'm sure Gary Gary Bettman is is really happy to hear say ratings be damned when it comes to playing yeah. a certain style of well, hockey. Gary Bettman didn't care in 2003 when it was Minnesota and Anaheim playing in the Western Conference Final, and no one played more boring, more boring hockey than the Minnesota Wild. So, uh, except maybe, except I mean, maybe the 19, except maybe the 19. You play to win, and you do whatever you have. I think the Devils beat them, but yeah, yeah. I was going to say except for the 1995 Devils, and I think they were both coached by the same guy, uh, Jack Lemaire. Um, okay, um, just. A number of uh, little stories here, a number of things that we're going to check in on over the next month or so um, in terms of the expansion draft and some draft previews and, uh, and the rumor chart that I put up yesterday. Um, there was some news yesterday that I mentioned at the end of the show, and not that I want to talk specifically about the two players that the, the, that the Leafs signed, but just the trend of what is going to ha- may be happening in the, in the league. And I think it, it's reflective of the free the, – you know, the – ever slowing death of free agency in terms of unrestricted free agents and teams being able to get talent in that way. Uh, the Leafs signed two young Swedish free agent defensemen, undrafted free agent defensemen, one named Kali Rosen and the other named uh, Andreas Borgman. Borgman is 21. He was at the SHL Rookie of the Year. Uh, both are NHL size. Uh, Borgman, I think, six foot two ten. good skaters. No guarantee that these guys are making the leaps. I think they'll be given a good look at training camp. But the advantage here is, you know, 23-21, they're ahead of the developmental curve than drafting somebody at 18. 
and as as they're on their entry level deal, they can be moved freely back and forth between the NHL and the AHL. So it provides organizational depth. Now, what I'm looking at here is other teams beside the Leafs going down this road. I mean, Russ, we've heard about Antipin, we've heard about you know the the uh, the Rangers signed Berglazov. There are going to be other uh, you know free agent forwards, defensemen, goaltenders signed probably in the next couple months. Teams are going to have to go on that, go down this road more and more because right now there's just not a lot out there in free agency. No, there's not. And but again, there's you know, these guys, it's it, like you said, it's not a guarantee. They're slightly ahead of college players when they come out and ready to go to the AHL, or some are ready to go to the NHL. They're around, around the same age. I'd say the talent level is a little bit higher, but not much. So Will they make the leaps? If this was two years ago, yeah, they'd have thrown them in there. Now, maybe not. So fans definitely could say, hey, you know, it's nice that we're doing things, but don't get overly excited. Like, you got to really wait it out. I think Borgman, I think I pointed out yesterday, was like the 36th-ranked European player in his draft year. When you're 36th-ranked European player and don't get drafted, that's pretty much expected. Like, you, you can go down that European list, and most drafts you're probably not getting past 10 or 12 maybe 15 on that list. So when you're 36, there's a reason he didn't get drafted, and maybe he's just a late bloomer. That does happen. And so we'll see. The SHL is definitely a good league. It's not the NHL. We know that. Right. Right. And, and uh, Peter, I think that, the, you know, the trend here, because, I mean, I I did a little bit of research on Borgman yesterday when uh, – uh, there was a when it came out that his Swedish club team announced that he wasn't he was heading to the NHL and I had a feeling it was going to be Toronto and wrote about that um, you know that there were a number of teams interested in him and thought that he could be an NHL player and apparently his agent was selling him as a you know lock a, a lock as a top four and most teams think he think he's a bottom pairing guy but if you can get a bottom pairing guy on an entry level deal for two years at less than a million dollars. I mean, it makes sense on the cap. It makes sense for your depth, and it's good. You know, you can you can not worry about signing this guy, and if it's if it doesn't work out, you can move him to the AHL, and he can develop down there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you wonder why there aren't more GMs, Kevin Shoveldale, who have a disaster on the back on the bottom pairing, who aren't looking at that for depth. Um, well, you don't know that they're not looking. They're just not getting the players. They could getting, be not. That's true. You know what, Russ, and that's – you know what? You raise a really valid point, not turn this into a Winnipeg-centric thing. That is a topic of conversation here of people just assume they're not looking because nothing's right. happening, and and that's a very good point. But, you know, let's rephrase that then and say um, more teams should be being far more aggressive about it and putting out their best sales pitches and saying, here's where your opportunities lie and really saying it's not wasted energy to be aggressive because at some point you have to do something. And these are the kind of guys that every organization needs, whether they bounce back and forth between your farm team and your, in your regular team. It's, it's when injuries hit defense that everything goes to heck. Maybe Winnipeg's making a big play for Will Butcher. Maybe they realize, hey, Borgman's yeah. not as good as Butcher. We're going to go all in on Butcher. Maybe we'll, we'll try and use Truba as a lure for yeah. Butcher, you know, another American defenseman. And, you know, maybe they'll go that yeah. route. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. It, but, I, Mike, to your point, like everyone, GM should be looking at these things and going, they're cheap, there's some upside, and the downside isn't that down. Right. And, and this is ironically how, how the 
how the coin has flipped over the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, people didn't want to go to Toronto because too much pressure, you know, uh, you know, the, the media attention, all this, all, you know. Now, Austin Matthews is there. Nylander is there. Marner is there. You got Babcock there. Uh, they obviously need help on defense, and I think part of the part of the mix here was these two Swedish defensemen. You know, there are a number of Swedes in the Leafs organization. The history of Matt Sundin and and Boris Salming, fine, but Nylander, who's 20 years old, is also on that team. And you know, so it's a fellow countryman, somebody they probably know playing against playing against one one another in in, in lower leagues or as young as young kids. And the prospect of a team on the rise that needs help at a certain area. That's why, Russ, I think, you know, there's still a chance, even though they signed a couple European free agents, that the Leafs will be heavy in on Butcher because yep. it doesn't cost them anything. It's like it costs yeah. them an entry-level contract. I think and, like five or seven teams yeah. be heavy in on Butcher. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I, I Honestly, the 23 teams that aren't are stupid because – it's free money. It's a guy who won the Hobie Baker who's going to walk and be a UFA, and all you have to do is provide an opportunity and, and, and you know, a reasonable path to him having a successful NHL career, and he, you know, there's a possibility that he would sign with you. So I think teams like Buffalo that need defense, and then supposedly they're in on Antipin, but they, I think they need more. They should be really scouring the KHL, the Finnish league, and the S and the SHL for for help because that's the way to go. Yep, no doubt. Yeah. Okay, um, so all right, a few few news and notes here. GM of the year was announced yesterday. Uh, three names: Pierre Dorian, the general manager of the Ottawa Senators; David Poyle, the GM of the Nashville Predators; and Peter Shirelli, the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. Okay, first of all. Uh, two of these guys, if you would have mentioned them as possible GM of the year candidates around, I'd say August 1st of last year, people would have laughed in your face. Poyle off of the Jimmy VC situation and Peter Shirelli after trading Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. I still don't think that they're, I mean, they had good years. The teams had good years. I still don't think they're deserving of GM of the year. Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I mean, again, it's like anything else. When, like, Joe Torre would win a World Series, he was a brilliant manager, and when he didn't, was he any good? You know, it's like it, that's how you are year to year as a GM. Those guys know the job. Uh, if it were me, I'd vote for Dorian for a couple reasons. He he was always a really good talent evaluator for players, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've spoken to Pierre more than once on my show in person, and he's a really engaging guy, really passionate, but he found the right coach too. And so mm -hmm. like, not only does, has he scouted good players and made good trades, the Broussard trade has worked out well for him, but he found the right coach. And so that's, that's a really big deal. And that's where I put him ahead of, of even the other guys, because like, if he would have talked to you at the beginning of the season, you would have said, Hey, look, I think you're coming in 30th. And he would have been like, Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but <laughs> No, you had to get it in there, didn't you? I had to get it in no, there. But, but seriously, he probably wasn't thinking we're going to get this far. He probably was thinking, hey, I hope to make the playoffs with this coach and we're on the right track, and he's getting way more than he bargained for. Nashville was already a team that you would consider in that mode, and really Edmonton just needed a little steerage. Now, I like Shirelli. I never oh. thought he should be killed in any way, shape, or form, 
but I know that he had that reputation from other fan bases, but I thought it was irrational. But I would I would give it to Dorian if it were me. I mean, of that list, yes, I'd give it to Dorian. But my 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 contention is that two of the names shouldn't be on that list. But Peter, what do you what do you think of the list? And I, you know, I I appreciate the Dorian thing. I'm more of I lean towards Poyle more. Um, but you know, the part is is I think like in a regular season because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about now. Um, we're talking about what happened in the regular season. Nashville underperformed. Like, they should have been a better team than yep. what they were. Great that they're peaking now, but they underperform. Yeah. However, you know, you know, Chirelli, I think, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He got he got the a generational player back for a full season, and he got amazing goaltending that they haven't seen in Edmonton as longer than Winnipeg hasn't he seen. He did sign that right? guy, though. He gets credit. He did. No, his credit is The whole for Larson trade, it's it's – that's nothing to be praised over. That's taking a massive risk that didn't really hurt you, but it didn't really boost you. Yep. What boosted you was Talbot and McDavid. Let's and, and oh, and a healthy Oscar Clefbaum. Yeah, like, you know yep. that's not. That's just that's what you've already put into place. The thing with Poyle is, is, and I saw Travis Yost make a comment about this. He made a trade that two hundred hockey men wouldn't have made. He dumped a liability, he got a better player back, and he managed to convince someone to do it. That's more than trade. Like, if, if, if you come around and, and, and around the league and go, and, and, and Trelli calls you up, and you've, and you've got a, a, an arguable two, two to four defensemen in Larson, depending on which team you're on, and you, and, and you say, well, I'll, I'll give you Taylor Hall. You've sent the paperwork before Trelli can hang up. Okay, but right? here, think like, about this, though. Think about this. That's not an easy – that's not a difficult trade to make. Here's the Talbot trade, though. The Talbot trade, they gave up their 57th, 79th, and 184th pick and got back a 209th-round pick and Talbot. That's a yeah. pretty good trade. I know people were saying, hey, that's a great haul that's for the Rangers, cool. but, but that's, that's a great trade for a number one goalie. But that's outside the window here of, of what he's being nominated for GM of the year. It's only yeah. for it's only for the calendar year. So that, yeah. what what I what I'm saying is here on top on top of the Hall for Larson deal, he doubles down by overpaying Milan Lucic for what six years or seven years. It's but yeah. working right now. Like if you're going to go with just the today lens, it's working today. It might not work three years from now, well, but it's working today. Yeah, I, I I don't think it worked that well. I think if you took a it took a survey, Russ, you'd see the most people say, "Yeah, you lose each for another what? How long is it? Six more years? I think yeah, it's six David, more years." Wait, but, but wait, but wait, he did keep McDavid injury free. He did. Well, and and, and okay, the Chris oh, the that's Chris, part of his job. Yeah, the Chris Russell signings. Yeah. The Chris Russell signing solidified their defense, but see that, that that's the problem here. My definition of GM of the year. I mean, obviously it has to do with the results on the ice, but it also has to do with, you know, the kind of contracts you got players to sign. And in that in that vein, I would have given Steve Eiserman a nomination for GM of the yeah, year. Yeah, me too. Stamkos, Kucherov, and Hedman all signed. Not yeah, losing I agree. Wholeheartedly. I mean, it was a miracle, and I'm, I'm shocked. Well, I, that I don't disagree with that, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you would have said at the beginning of the year – what kind of regular season were the Ottawa Senators going to have? And I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs either. Compared to the other two teams, they have way, way, way out. Oh, yeah. 
gone way further than we all of us thought. I, I mean, I like I said, I mean, of this, this existing list, my vote would be with Dorian because, like I said, I picked that team to be dead last because I thought that they sucked. <coughs> and, I, you know, I'm shocked that they've made the playoffs and I'm shocked that they've succeeded. And it's, I give all credit to Guy Boucher. And they've gotten great performances out of some players that I didn't think were up to it. But I'm still not convinced they're going to beat the Penguins. Anyway, um, all right, let's move on to uh, the little news yesterday about the Vegas Golden Knights, Russ. They are sharing an affiliation uh, with the St. Louis Blues of the Chicago Wolves of the AHL. Um, now, this is a little interesting in a sense that I think this is an, an admission on the part of Vegas that, you know, they're not going to load up with, you know, 15 free agents just to put them down in the AHL, that they're going to, you know, obviously they're going to be drafting a bunch of 18 to 19 year olds who are not eligible to play in the American hockey league, unless they're European kids who come over. So they're not going to be able to populate their AHL team with players of their own, unless they sign them to free agent contracts or select them in the expansion draft or make trades. So this is an admission that, you know, they're not going to have 25 bodies to pull from. Yeah, this is a, a surprising move. For me, because they could have spent all the money that they wanted to this year on a ton of players, signing a lot of free agents, and they're not doing it. And the part that that will hurt them the most will be the goaltender development. Because let's just take the argument where Chicago, we know how they operate. They want to win. They want to win the Calder Cup every year. They fill the stands. They want to make money. Those fans who go there expect winning. They're not a developmental organization at all. They play the best players. And so let's just say, for argument's sake, Jordan Bennington doesn't get the call this year, and he's one of the goalies you have to choose from. And let's just say Vegas gets, I don't know, Anthony Stellars. Well, if, if, if you're going to go between Bennington and Stellars, chances are Bennington's going to get the lion's share of those games, and now Stellars will be sitting in the AHL not playing as much as you want him to while you hope for him to get ready for the NHL. Again, you can come up with Tristan Jarry, same thing. Like if they ended up with Tristan Jarry somehow, well, who's going to play, Tristan Jarry or, or Jordan Bennington? Best case scenario is you'll get half the games, and that's not as many games as you want Tristan Jarry to play before you want him to be your franchise goalie in a couple of years. And so those are the kinds of problems Vegas is going to have, and I get that they want to draft a lot of their guys, but they had an opportunity to field the team and they didn't want to. So I guess they felt it was cost prohibitive. So now I think they're going to pay a little bit of a, 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 a price on the developmental curve. I do. Yeah. It, it's curious. How long is the agreement for? Do we know? It's just this year and it could be for next year. year. We don't know. Like nobody so, knows. And, and maybe, maybe it's a year to year thing and they can actually get a full team eventually. And maybe they just, maybe McPhee is literally thinking, I just don't know what I'm going to end up with at the end of this expansion draft and how do I get another 30 guys roughly right. into the organization below the NHL? Is that, and he's doubling down to saying, is that too much to take on right away? But they had more than this year to do it. Like they've had a long time to do it. Right. But yeah, the, but he still has, he hasn't had any players until now. No, but he could sign more free agents today. Like he, they don't have to just be getting ship and nobody else. No, I know, but but again, he can. But do they want to sign there, right? Like it's the same I'm argument sure we just said. You ask Russ Cohen if he's at the end of his developmental curve, and this is my last chance yeah. to make it to the NHL. I'm signing. 
that was a couple of years ago, Russ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I, okay, for, for Russ, I, I see your point. I'll tell myself I'm just saying, from this an organizational story. standpoint, what do they want to manage? What do they want to deal with? What what's best? And they probably rate the risk factor that you presented from a developmental curve. But as long as it's not some five year agreement and that they can pull out, they can go and maybe they're talking to the HL. Maybe they're you know figuring out that we need another year just here. I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a successful route. Anyways, you need a full farm team. The teams that have split resources in the past have just. It's been infighting. It's been bad. It just doesn't work well. Well, I, I think one option. I mean, and you know, it, like I said, it may be a feeling out process where, like next year, they they can feel the full team or they're or they're ready to to go that route. But they can, you know, a lot of AHL teams sign players to AHL contracts just to fill in the gaps. I know that for or or the teams loan players to other organizations. Like I know that the the, Mar the Toronto Marlies had a shortage on defense in Mar in March, and Minnesota lent them uh, Alex Goodbranson. Uh, now he and he was playing either AHL or ECHL and wasn't getting a lot of playing time. So there was developmental time on one side and a need on the other. So what I think Vegas is going to be able to do if they do have a goaltender they want to develop, there's going to be a team out there in the AHL that needs a goalie that can that can play so he can get loaned out. And that is a temporary fix. It's not perfect, but at least the player would get to play and uh, and get some get some experience. So, I mean, I think that's the way they're going to go. Okay. Uh, okay, now, um, Russ, the draft is coming up upon us. Uh, we're yep. a, a little over a month away. Um, people are putting out. People know, in case they don't know, um, I'll be on the draft floor with Shane Malloy. We'll be live that whole first first round on SiriusXM. So that day, you might see me in a suit again. Yeah, I know. Oh, God forbid, um, but but uh, you know, and I'll and I'll I will be the, in the the risers on the draft floor for Hockey Buzz, uh, following all the all the trades and all the all the news. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of people are putting out their mock drafts and their final draft uh, ratings. Um, now, you know, we won't talk about Nolan Patrick or Nico Heischer because I think everybody's gonna be talking about them, and you know, it's like I think it's it's overload with those guys. But I think some of the like it's the next. Yeah, right. Exactly. Some of the next level, I think, are getting a little bit ignored. And uh, one one player is uh, Gabriel Velarde. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, after this weekend, he probably won't be right because he's he's playing for the Windsor Spitfire. They're the hosts for the Memorial Cup, so you get a lot of press when when that yeah. happens. I've covered. I want to say I've covered three Memorial Cups, at least two. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. My last one was in London, and that was a, a blowout, right? That I mean, from a media perspective, there was so much coverage. So they'll they'll get plenty of coverage. Now, Velarde is an interesting one because he, he is another one of those centers where in the first round, those top ten, there's going to be some really good centers going in the top ten. And he's one of them. He's 6'3", about 200 pounds. The thing about him is this guy can play – He's a multi-dimensional guy. He can play the finesse game, and he could also play a little bit of a rugged game. But his big thing is he's got breakaway ability for that size, which is good, so he occasionally can get on the fast break. He's an excellent passer, so at that center position, no problem at all with the passing. He could score in the high slot. He could definitely handle it there in the crease and play that game, and he's got great hands. And so those are some of the big things he's got. He's almost a point a game in the playoffs. At his age, that's really good, and and so everything's going right for him going into this draft. I currently have him ranked, uh, what do I have him, seventh. 
could he go a little higher? Yeah, maybe. Let's see what you got in the Memorial Cup, kid. Yeah, 29 goals, 32 assists for 61 points in 49 games. Almost doubled, well, nearly doubled his offensive totals from last year. Um, and he's a, he's a late birthday, August 16th of 99. So, um, you know, you're getting a young player. And obviously, I mean, I, I honestly don't think that anybody other than Heeshear and Patrick are going to play in the NHL next year. There might be one. And I'm one, not guaranteeing they will. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not. Well, if it's okay, and just if Philadelphia gets Heeshear, Heeshear yeah. will have to be so overwhelmingly great in preseason and in potentially preseason games for Ron Hextall to do that because that is not the normal yeah. thing for him to do. That the odds are against him, even if he looks great. Profroff looked really good his first year. They sent him back. Right. Which, yeah. which now we look at it and say. It was the right move. He played all 82 games this year. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to touch on a team uh, in regarding in regards to the expansion draft every day. Today is the Boston Bruins. And, again, looking at the Bruins and when it comes to the expansion draft, they have little flexibility because they have uh, four players who have no move clauses. So they're locked in with Krejci, Bergeron, and Bacchus. Uh, and and Zdeno Chara having to protect them, but after that, Russ, I don't think that the the, the decisions are really tough. I mean, they're obviously going to protect Marchand and Pasternak, and then after that, you know, you, I think right now they're you know the big risk is losing players like Ryan Spooner or Matt Bolesky. I don't th- see them. Uh, see, I think they're going the other way. Okay. I think they would be happy to get rid of Matt Bolesky's contract. And no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying that's that right. I'm, so what I'm saying is, okay. he, like him or Jimmy Hayes, are the type of players yeah. that they're going to end up losing, yeah. which I don't think they're going to be heartbroken about. No, they're they're protecting their defensemen. That's what they're going to do. Even the ones that you don't think are great defensemen, they're going to go. I think they're going to keep as many defensemen as possible because I think that's what they have to do because they have an aging Zdeno Chara and they don't have the deepest decor yet. Even adding McAvoy, they still don't have the deep, deepest decor. So I don't think they can afford to lose a defenseman. Well, I mean, Peter, like oh. right if you look at their defense right now, I mean, if it was me, I would protect Chara. You have to protect Chara. You're protecting Krug. And then for the third one, it's between Adam McQuaid, Kevin Miller, Colin Miller, Joe Morrow. Yeah. I mean – you know, Miller, Miller, or sorry, McQuaid is the oldest one at thirty. So you probably would protect the youngest one in Colin Miller at twenty-four. You'll get protected. Yeah, yeah but but yeah. you know that means Kevin Miller or McQuaid are getting exposed. I don't think that's detrimental to that team, especially when they have the the number of young defensemen one to three years away. No, I, I don't think it's a big deal, and and frankly. As Russ said, you know, there's pro- they're probably hoping a contractor, you know, they're going to dangle a few out there that they won't mind yeah. losing just to make the thing harder to do and almost increase their chances of keeping the guy they want to take. And, you know, again, I don't think Boston's one of those teams where, you know, if they, you know, the call to McPhee comes in and says, look, we want you to take, let's say, let's use Jimmy Hayes for an example. You take Hayes, here's the third round pick to do so. And I, he, they've got options like that all over the board. And, and, and I don't think Boston's going to come out of this uh, too disappointed if the, there's any disappointment at all. 
I think Kevin Miller, I don't think they're going to dangle him. I think he's got the right size. He plays defense. He plays the right role for them. He's played in 17 playoff games, so they're not hesitant in using him. You know, he's a plus He's a plus player for his entire career, playoffs included. I'm not giving him up. It's hard to get defensemen. McQuaid? Yeah, yeah maybe McQuaid I'll leave hanging out there. Right, but you're going to have yeah. to leave one of the Millers exposed, Ross. It's either – if you're protecting three – and and Char, you have to protect Chara. You're protecting Krug. That's number two. Then it's one of the Millers you can protect, and leaving McQuaid and the other Miller exposed, and and Morrow as well. So, you know, they're probably going to lose either one of those guys or a Hayes or a Valeski. I mean, I don't think yeah. any one of those losses it really hurts them big time. In fact, yeah. you know, losing losing Valeski with I think he's he's got another three years left on his contract, making less than four million. Um, you know, that might be a benefit for them in terms of clearing out a guy who clearly fell out of favor. I, at least I thought he did, uh, in the second half of the year, but I mean, we'll see. Um, rumor chart, uh, Ack is updated it a little bit cause I didn't see the name of Joe Thornton on the list yesterday. And you know, that, I, I think that's an interesting, you know, we'll, we'll pick out three or four of them here before we end the show. Um, Peter, you know, Thornton's been in San Jose for a number of years. The assumption has been that he was going to re- potentially re-sign with the Sharks for a lesser amount. You know, there's always been talk he loves it in San Jose. Uh, X got him on the list with basically a 50-50 chance of going back to the Sharks. But the two teams he has out there are the Detroit Red Wings and the Dallas Stars. I don't see Detroit. I know he's from, I think it's uh, around near London. I think it's St. Thomas, Ontario. But I don't see him going to a clearly rebuilding uh, Red Wings team unless they throw ridiculous money at him, and that would just sort of be stupid with going into a new building. Um, Dallas, I mean, him as a third uh, as a third center option behind Spezza and uh, and Sagan. Well, what do you what do you what do you think about Joe Thornton? It, 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 left? It's interesting. I just think the logical thing is he ends back at San Jose. They reach a a fairly amicable deal. The guy still produces. He still, uh, you know, ages there. We can see it. He's not Joe Thornton of five years ago, but he's still Joe Thornton, and he's better than a lot of other guys in in the league. You know, in his position of being a, a two-three defenseman now, if that's how he's going to be used, which it seems he would be, unless someone does something really shocking. I, I don't have an issue with San Jose bringing him back, but for anyone else. If you need to plug Joe Thornton in as your second line center, it's going to cost you money to do it. And is that money well spent? And how long do you have to spend it for? Yeah. Right? I, like that's, that's the question. So, I mean, it just sort of comes back to San Jose. I think they work something out. I just don't see it not happening. Yeah. I, I think there's a, you know, less than 5% chance he's leaving San Jose. I really do. I think, yeah. like I said, I think he will come in pretty cheap for them and it'll be a done deal. And he may not sign for a while. He may let other things happen first, including Marlowe, just to see what's left for him. Like he and Marlowe may be the last two things just to sort of hang out there so they could see what they have left to pay them. And I think that's what will happen. Yeah, I, I, have, I have a feeling that what's going to happen is because I, I believe they paid uh, Marlowe and Thornton each around 6.5 or 6.6 million. I would, I would. I would put a wager down that they will get both of them signed for the sal the, for the, the combined salary of one. You yeah, know, so, like that. Yep. so each of them get like three and a half or three point two or three point two five yep. for a year or two years. Yep. And I you mean, know 
you know. There's no GM like Mike Gillis out there willing to throw out 20 million over two years because he's got some crazy idea, right? So, you know, exactly. You're right. They'll, they'll find a happy medium and it'll buy them a little more time to do what they need to do and keep fans happy. And it's, you know, it's kind of just like, there's no reason for it not to happen. Right. Yeah. Another name on the list, and I would say that the odds are pretty good that this guy is going to get moved uh, at some point this summer after many, many years of being on, uh, being the subject of trade rumors, and that's Jordan Eberle of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Ak has 40% for the New York Islanders, 30% for the Montreal Canadiens, 25% for the, uh, for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and 5% chance of him going back to Edmonton. Uh, I, 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 the one thing I agree about here is the 5% with Edmonton. I think they're going to move him. Yeah, I think uh, 0%. You think so? Uh, the, the only bad thing is is if they, they would have moved him two or three years ago, you would have gotten a lot of value yes. for him, and now I think they're trading him at his absolute worst value, uh, uh, Peter, because I don't think he's going to get anything more. I mean, right now it's I think Edmonton would – it wants to get rid of him for cap relief, and the return is secondary to getting rid of him. Peter? Yeah, you know, this is something I think Edmonton probably is now wishing they'd done a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? Like, it's sort of come to the point where Charlie's probably saying, oh, you know, now I got this headache. And there's, you know, and there's also Edmonton fans out there and people who watch Edmonton saying, Nugent Hopkins should be the one to go. Like, right. you know, and, and that's, that's the dark horse. What's that? At the end of the day, he's a center, though. So yeah. he'll have more value yeah. just because of that. But you got your McDavid, Dreisaitl, and then, you know, do you need Nugent Hopkins? At the, I, in, in the way the NHL is changing, yeah, you do. But, I mean, there were some rumblings and Nugent Hopkins realized he was going to go way down the pecking order. And he might, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if something happened. I'm not saying it's going to. But if something happened with Nuge, I wouldn't be surprised. But, no, but I, mean, I think he's secondary to Everly, though. Yeah, yeah. And with Everly, I mean, the, the Islanders make sense in the sense that you've got to get a winger for John Tavares. If you want John Tavares to sign there long-term, they, I think Garth Snow has to get a winger. You know, and if you can get Everly for, like, one of your many – you know, like if they get him for a Pulak or a Calvin DeHaan or – a Scott Mayfield, somebody like that, that might be a deal that be benef that benefits Edmonton. And remember, Edmonton is going to be without Sakara for nine months because of an ACL injury. So yeah. I think that even more makes them want to go out and get a defenseman. So if they can move yeah. Eberle and get a defenseman back, that makes sense. What if you, sweet I, you don't want to hear it, but Griffin Reinhardt did play in the playoffs, and he may have a big role this year for them. You yeah. might. What what if you sweeten the pot with Eberle and you tried to tried to even though Hamannick's stuff is dealt with in terms of his personal stuff could you could you pry Hamannick out of there you know I we all thought that that was possible after all this yeah, yeah. I've not heard any rumblings like that's even possible and Garth Snow is still there and if Garth Snow is still there then I'm gonna have to lean towards it's probably not happening Right. Um, Gabriel Landeskog was mentioned a number of times during the year before the trade deadline. Uh, Ak has 45% chance of him staying in Colorado, 25 Boston, 15 LA, 15% uh, to the Montreal Canadiens. Um, was a rumor of interest with, with Boston, um, but that, obviously that's tied to Brandon Carlo, who being a Colorado native. Russ, do you think that uh, – 
the same thing with with Duchesne, as you said yesterday. If they kick Sackick upstairs, do you think they're going to stay status quo, or do you think that they're, they're going to do something? I think they have to do something. No, I think they'll do something. And at the end of the day, Landis Cog plays a much tougher game, so his life cycle is not going to be as long in the NHL as a Matt Duchesne. I don't think. I think Duchesne will hold on to his speed longer than du- than Landis Cog could crack skulls. Besides scoring, he's, he's obviously a talented scorer. But yeah. while Duchesne's numbers dip too, he's still a center. Yes. And and Landis Cog dipped to the point where, you know, 33 points for him is really bad. I mean, this is yeah. – and his numbers have been dipping. Peter, so this is shot rates, actually. His shot rates have been going down significantly. This is – okay, let me throw this out there. If you're ranking – Duchesne and Landeskog. Russ, just by what you said, you're putting Duchesne over Landeskog right now. Yes. Okay. I think probably most people would. Is this a case of Landeskog a buy low and maybe he gets a little revitalized in a different kind of scenario and stuff? So, I mean, everyone, you know, we've been hearing about how the Habs need a center and need a center and they're in on Duchesne, but, you know, wouldn't Landeskog be just as effective for them? Here's the thing if they lose Radulov, he would be. Right. If they lose Radulov, they it would be. But again, it just seems like Landis Cog playing that really physical role, even though he has a great shot, still scores a certain amount of goals from in tight, and his goal numbers have been dropping since 2013, 26 to 23 to 20 to 18. I look at Duchesne and I say, yeah, he had a bad year. I will strike off that bad year to this team's bad year. But Matt Duchesne, I think, when you see him play with elite players like in international competitions, still pretty great. I don't yeah. see that out of Landis Cog now. I see his trending down, and, and I think like he's trending down like sooner than someone like Lucic did. But he has more offensive ability than Lucic, but he's he still a plays younger. a tough game like that. He's a lot younger, too. But, but this, is the, this is the problem with you know Joe Sackick or whoever the general manager of the Avalanche is going to be. That they that they face this summer, everybody's value is down on the, and except for Nathan McKinnon, everybody's yeah. value on that team is mm-hmm. at, at its lowest point. Duchesne, oh, yeah. Landeskog, Tyson Berry, Eric Johnson because of injury, Varlamov. The only the only one that maybe has uh, has up an upward track is McKinnon and and. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, I got Landeskog where I did because I thought he could be a goal scorer. He's definitely a leader, right? I mean, he's proven that. But I thought he could score some goals. So far in his career, he's got 118 goals. In what, six seasons, five seasons? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Five full yeah. seasons. And, okay. Yeah. And he was injured in one of them. So five and so – Five, it's just over 20 a season. It's not bad. Yeah. It's no, not great. 20 is the new 40. 30 is the new 50. It's not great. What did he? What's his salary at? Uh, I think it's around 5'8", some of that. Yeah. Way overpaid. Yeah. So he's trending down. He's overpaid. Bergevin's in on this in a heartbeat. <laughs> no. Bergevin's not spending more than – he's not spending that kind of money on him. He's not. I would rather have Radulov back than have hey, – Yeah. Russ, Absolutely. Here, here you go. Here, Here's the deal. Galchenyuk yeah. for Landeskog right there. One yeah. for one. Yeah. Okay. Two well, quick – okay, I don't ahead. think Montreal would do that, though. I think they could do better. What were you going to say, Peter? No, nothing. I, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, but, Peter, you have to admit, that's a lot of money for Gabriel Landeskog. Oh, it is. Okay. It is. But that's what I'm saying. Do, is some GM going to think of, oh, reclamation project, project? 
right? Oh, if I get them in my environment, out of that toxic cesspool of Colorado, a directionless, rudderless ship that no one knows what's going I'll, on I'll from the ownership right down them. to the cowboy. Okay. I'll tell you a place right? that could use them. If Columbus had, had divested or did divest of Scott Hartnell, then I could see Landis Cog being a younger guy playing that role for them. Then they might be willing to spend that money because the talent level that they have might raise him back to what he used to be. But other than that, I you know I, I don't think a lot of teams are going to gamble on him for big money. To be, to be gonna, you know he how many more years does he have left? To be exact, a five point five seven million for four more years. Woo. That's what he has. It's not a great deal, guys. Okay. Uh, how two, old is he? 25? 24. 24. Probably two, gonna be 25. Two quick ones. Uh, Justin Williams. Um, Eck has 30% chance of going back to the Capitals, 35% chance of the St. Louis Blues, 35% chance of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Russ, I've heard a lot of little whispers regarding Williams possibly to Toronto if Toronto follows through on trading JVR because I think that they will trade JVR because he's only got a year left in his contract. And, you know, if they need a top six winger, they don't want to sign somebody long-term for five, six, seven years. They would go with, a you know, somebody who can bring in some vet, some experience and, you know, Mr. Game 7, and he's still got something left. That youngsters that they have. I don't know. Williams' foot speed isn't what it used to be. And actually, Mr. Game 7, boy, there was so much brought up about on that, on the NHL Network. They showed him coming into the building. Look at his stare. Look at everything. He lost. Now, I'm not saying <laughs> that's a bad thing. I'm just saying this is a different Justin Williams now that we're talking about. I know. He's a complimentary player, but I'm still yeah. – I mean, I think he proved in the playoffs. I mean, I saw him play in the first round a lot. I saw in the second round not as much, but I still, I still thought he played fantastic. But can he keep so. up with the fast Maple Leaf forwards? I don't know. Yeah. That's not not 100 sure. And finally, the one that uh, it's not on the list, but we're, it will be up on the list pretty soon, is Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, yeah. Now, Peter, okay, you know we've had the experience in Winnipeg with Bermistrov going back to the KHL then coming back. So that's what Kovalchuk is going to do. It's a little different here because I think Bermistrov was in his early 20s and and Kovalchuk is 34. Um, he's going to be looking for probably as long a contract as he possibly can for as much money as he possibly can. But Russ sa has said on previous webcasts that there is a geographical restriction. Do you think he can, you know, make it so that he can go where he wants, or do you think, you know, he's going to have to take it to well, take the best job available? If I'm Kovalchuk and I'm 34, I've been out of the the, the grinding NHL for a bit. I'm also looked at a little funky too by some GMs as well. I don't know if I can have restrictions like that if I want to get what I want from a contract. But I'll say this. If he is thinking that way, he's got to take the Yager approach of yeah, manageable travel and, 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 and at a decent salary. Yeah. Like he's going to have to make a concession someplace because, yeah. you know, he, he burns some bridges. Yeah. And, but he has and plenty that, of money. He does. And he's got money. Oh, yeah, he's got tons of it. But, you know, he, he's going to have to really think about what matters most to him. Is he coming back to do the grind to just make a couple extra bucks? Or is he coming back to actually win? That's the curious no, I think thing. he's coming back to win. I think, I think he really did want to win with the Devils. He did, and he yeah. was their leader. Here's the thing, and this is the argument that's going on on my Facebook page. I, I talked about this probably 
last week, Kovalchuk on this, and then talked about it on New York Radio too. I'm not advocating the Rangers should get him, but if you look at Kovalchuk's agent calls and says, "Hey, he'd like to come here. What do you think you could pay?" and they say, "You know, we'll give you like two million, and if he's willing to accept it, Jeff Gordon's going to be talking to Ray Shiro now." I know everybody says, oh, there's no way the Devils will trade him to the Rangers. Here's the thing. If it comes down to, let's say, the Islanders, the Rangers, and the Florida Panthers, because that's what's mentioned in this article, although the guy who wrote the article said at the bottom, it's 0% chance it's going to happen with the Rangers. Nothing in the NHL is a 0% chance. Just like him getting traded from the Devils to the Rangers is not a 0% chance because we've seen weird things happen. But here's, here's, the, here's the way I see it. Ray Shiro does not think he is going to win a Stanley Cup in the next two years. The Rangers are still hopeful they can get there. So as things are just breaking in my house. Um, and and so if you think you can get to the Stanley Cup, Ray Shiro is going to ask for a certain amount of assets. He may get the best deal from the Rangers compared to some of these other teams. And Devils fans may bristle. But at the end of the day, by the time Kovalchuk either gets to the Stanley Cup with the Rangers or doesn't, the Devils are still going to be just working their way back to right. – to uh, respectability. So I think Shiro may have to deal with that because I think it's going to be a limited amount of teams that he could deal with, and he's going to look for the best deal. People, like Devils fans, are like, well, he could just walk away from it. He could, but he already said he's not going to do that. And I don't blame him. At this point, he's looking for assets. Yeah. And there's a 0% chance he's playing with the Devils because it just doesn't fit right. with what they're doing right now. Right. Why would, you know, get, get, an, get an asset for him. Trade him to where he needs, to, where he wants to go, and get as much as you can for him. And you know, you continue on your rebuild. Why, why, right. you know, why keep him around? If anything, he makes you. I mean, if they're gunning for a high pick in the 2018 draft, having Kovalchuk around just makes the odds of that worse. So, like in three years, where are the Devils going to be? In, in three, let's say he signs for the Rangers a three-year deal, right? Where would he be in three years with the Devils? Maybe hoping to make the playoffs. That's it. So how's it really yeah. going to hurt the Devils? Yeah. It doesn't. All right, guys. Good show. Uh, we will be back tomorrow uh, to talk about the Pens and Sens. I'm going to be making my way to Syracuse, to beautiful downtown Syracuse, New York, Woo! game seven of the Calder Cup second round series between the Toronto Marlies and the Syracuse Crunch. So what's I'll the dome called there now? Is it, it used to be the Carrier Dome. What, what's it called? Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's still called the Carrier Dome. Yeah. All, I know is that the, all I know is that the mall there is called, like, Destiny US or Destiny USA. It's like the, it's the worst Destiny. small name in the world. I mean, yeah. I, I can't. I don't know. I don't get it. So anyway, uh, for Peter Tessier, for Russ. Still not right about Buffalo, though. <laughs> no, no, no. It is not. No, no sorry, not. You're, you're, not. you're wrong. <laughs> Peter Tessier for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. <laughs>